when you subsidize something, you hide the cost to consumers, so they purchase more of it than they want to. More people will make it, but there's less real demand for it. All subsidies and taxes turn prices into lies. In this episode, I'm joined by Grover Norquist, founder and president of Americans for Tax Reform. In a time of soaring inflation and economic hardship, we sat down to discuss what Americans can do to legitimately reduce their taxes. Consider moving to a state that doesn't have an income tax or that has a single rate tax. New York City, city and state personal income tax, about 14% plus. Move to Miami, state and city income tax, zero. How do corporate income taxes, subsidies, and bailouts impact the economy? And what can the federal government learn from individual states about how to formulate its tax policy? Governments shouldn't fix recessions. They should step out of the way, reduce taxes, reduce regulations, let prices reassert themselves. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellek. Grover Norquist, such a pleasure to have you back on American Thought Leaders. Good to be with you. Today, we're going to get Grover Nordquist to tell us how we can reduce our taxes. Legitimately, of course, legitimately. A lot of people are experiencing financial issues. I've been looking at various statistics, and there's a huge, big, big growth of people who are simply like going into their savings to buy food and things like this. I mean, people are seriously thinking about how to save, how to cut costs, and tax reduction would be a fantastic place, right, where they might be able to do that if they can do it legitimately. Yeah. There are three places where you can reduce taxes. One is at the national level, and each of us has a limited ability to affect that. Um, To get lower taxes, you need a Republican House, Senate, and President at the same time uh, with 60 votes in the Senate, so uh, not easy. Uh, But at the state level and the local level, one, the voice of an individual is larger. It's easier to get people in your town together to go to the town hall and uh, stop a tax increase or reduce taxes or spending. Um, And at the state level, even at the state level, one person reaching out can, can make a difference. Some of these votes are close. But the most obvious way to do it is to move. Um, There's voice, argue, and there's leave. Uh, And when people move from a high tax state to a zero income tax state or a lower income tax state, they not only reduce their own taxes, they're doing a favor to their neighbors because they say to the politicians, you need to treat my neighbors better because you lost me, but you're going to lose them. So don't keep raising taxes and in fact, start to bring them down. So it is a political, successful political statement to leave, but it also solves your problems now to move from New York City, uh, city and state personal income tax, about 14% plus, move to Miami, state and city income tax, zero. Want a 14% raise? Move. Uh, so what, what are some of the most sort of oppressive places when it comes to tax and what are some of the best places? So I, I, Miami and New York clearly figure in yeah. here, but, but if you give me some other examples. Um, and, and the reason for that just is New York State spends $230 billion a year. 
New York is the same size, actually a little smaller population than Florida. Florida, 115 billion. So New York spends twice as much per person, twice as much total at the state level as Florida does. So Florida doesn't have to have an income tax. It's not like, well, where do you raise the money? They don't raise the money because they don't spend the money. There's $130 billion of money Florida doesn't spend that New York does. Now, the roads work in Florida better than New York. The schools work in Florida as lousy as everybody's, but not any worse than New York. Um, and the functions of government happen. Uh, but they, they have fewer bureaucrats, pay them not as much, make them work more hours in a week, and don't give them ridiculous gold-plated pensions. So what you're paying for in New York is the overpayment of government workers for the work done. Um, it's not like they're building more bridges or more roads than Florida. Uh, so how do you get to be a low-tax state? Stop spending so much. Now, when you get to what are the really good ones and the really bad ones, the problem states, New York, over 10%. You're looking at um, uh, New Jersey, around 10% top rate. Now Massachusetts is up to 9%. They were at 5 They're one of the few blue states getting significantly worse during the Biden years. Washington State's getting bad. But the others have sort of said, we, gotta, we can't be getting crazier. We need to hold it down, even California and New York. They're in a bad place now. But they haven't been getting worse in the last couple of years because they see too many of their high-income people leaving. California, about 13.5%. Um, oh, in Minnesota. Minnesota, you'd think they'd be sensible people in Minnesota, but evidently not. About 10% in Minnesota. The 10% the, the plus club, California, Minnesota, um, New Jersey, New York, now Massachusetts. Now, uh, Illinois, only 5%. Income tax, they tax everything else, but the income tax is not outrageous because it's a single rate tax and they're scared to raise it because they have to raise it on everybody. Fascinating. Okay, and what about on the other side? So we have Florida's at zero with its, you know, Miami being at zero. There's also these city taxes. Where are the other places that are like that? Seven states are at zero. Uh, Alaska, Nevada, uh, Tennessee, South Dakota, uh, Florida, Texas, Wyoming. Really, you're saying that the reform, you know, Americans for tax reform, the reform primarily has to be at the state and local levels? You're not seeing it happening at the federal level? Well, we did get some reform uh, during the four years, the two years when Trump had a Republican House and Senate. Uh, then the corporate income tax, which was 35, which, by the way, was the highest in the world. Communist China only steals 25% of what a company makes. Uh, the United States was taking 35%. And then we wonder why we weren't competitive. Okay? Europe is in the 20s. Um, we took ours to 21, which is good um, on corporate. Our individual rates um, remain too high at the national level uh, as well. At the state level, though, that's where Federalism is the friend of competent, limited government because good states discipline bad states. Only truly stupid ideas can really only be passed at the national level. 
You could never have done Obamacare at the state level because it would have been too obvious. They actually, in Massachusetts, passed Ob the equivalent of Obamacare um, when Dukakis was running for president. And then they said, see, we, we did national health care at the state level. Bef after Dukakis lost, they repealed it because they knew it was destructive and wouldn't work and was just for show. But they then proceeded with Obamacare to put what Massachusetts had done at the national level. And then people, I don't know, the economy seems to have slowed down. How'd that happen? What was it? Well, we don't know. Could be anything. Global warming, probably. Um, so uh, at the state level, though, bad government shows up quickly compared to your neighbors. Vermont passed single-payer uh, health care. Oh, wow. And then they repealed it because it was too destructive and didn't work and was non-competitive with the rest of the world. Now, but Bernie Sanders, who lives in Vermont and watched it fail at the state level, wants to impose it nationally. So all ideas should first be tested at the state level before they're allowed to get to Washington. If somebody says, I got a great idea, say, experiment on Rhode Island. <laughs> Let us know how it turned out. There are 12 states right now that have, where the governor and the legislature says, we're on the road to zero. We are going to zero. Um, Iowa. Uh, first, they went to a flat rate tax from 8.6% top rate down to 3.99. It's taking three, four years to get that done. And then they're going to turn around, and they've announced, and then we're going to go to zero. So when revenue comes in above spending limits, you permanently drop the income tax rate. So instead of when revenue comes in above what you're going to spend, instead of deciding to give it to the teachers union, you say, we may give some to the teachers union, but the rest is going to go to all the people of the state in lower tax rates. North Carolina has been doing this for 12 years. They're on track to go to zero. Kentucky's voted to go to zero. Our friends in West Virginia have voted to go down to zero. Iowa's announced that they're getting their part way and then they'll come back and vote to go the rest of the way. Next door, Nebraska said, we're going to do what Iowa's doing, except we're not going to 3.99 and then zero. We're going to 3.9, just under those spendthrifts in Iowa. That's what we're doing. Um, right, so this is the good example being uh, yes. implemented, right? Arizona, they've gone to two and a half, and then they're going to zero. North Dakota, which had been leading the band, they decided we're going to go to two and a half on our, quickly on our way to zero. Arkansas has announced they're going to zero. North Dakota's announced they're going to zero. And they've started the process by cutting taxes. Um, Mississippi voted 100 to 14 in their house to phase down to zero. They had a problem in the Senate, so they just went partway. But the governor wants to go to zero. The House wants to go to zero. We'll see if the Senate follows along. I think Mississippi will be at zero in the next 15 years. We're looking at 12 states that in the next 15 years will be at zero. So add the 15 new ones to the seven, oh, New Hampshire will be at zero within two years. They've already passed the law to, to phase that in. They didn't tax wages in New Hampshire, but they tax dividends and interest. That's being phased out to zero. So we'll have 22 states at zero in the next 15 years. Idaho, surprisingly, hasn't joined the march to zero yet. Missouri hasn't. They should. They will. Um, so these are, these are solid red states that with, with a taxpayer structure that people want to go down lower. Um, they just haven't joined the march yet. Uh, Indiana, Ohio.
So, you know, you just made me think about these tax, these uh, Trump era tax cuts, you know, and they've been criticized a lot lately as uh, empowering the rich, basically, like basically funneling money to the rich. They're not paying their share, this kind of stuff. When you look back on the balance of it, how do you view the effectiveness of those tax cuts, which I believe you were, you know, both a proponent and somehow, you know, influenced yourself? Yeah. Uh, the Trump Republican tax cuts, the corporate rate drop was very helpful. It's why the economy is still doing okay, even with all the damage Biden's doing with inflation, because we're taxing at 21% instead of 35% um, the corporate income. And we have full expensing, although that fades after a few years. So um, it's very good for economic growth. Trillions of dollars flowed back into the United States that had been stored overseas and was going to be invested in overseas um, because of those tax cuts uh, and because we said we wouldn't punish you for bringing money back under Obama. If you brought the money back, the government would have a 35% tax on the money you brought back from France. Why? Yes, go invest in France. Don't invest here. It's better for you. That was U.S. policy under, Ob uh, under Obama and under previous presidents uh, as well. So these were very pro-growth policies. Po the politicians like the corporate rate. Why do they like the corporate rate? They like the corporate rate, the tax, because they think somebody else pays it. They think, I don't pay that. People don't pay that. The companies pay that. Actually, companies... If you run a grocery store and you raise taxes on a grocery store, the people who buy celery pay for that. That's who pays for it. About 70% of the corporate income tax is paid by workers in lower wages and about 30% by people who see higher prices. So it's a tax on people that's hidden. That's why the politicians like it. Well, but th there's also this element, though, of, uh, uh, let's say, the executive wages growing substantially, like maybe disproportionately to, to the value. This is what people have argued. How do you react to that? Well, what used to happen back in the 80s was people would be paid like a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, which is a lot of money in those days. And then the company would lose money and people say, why is he making $200,000 if the company's losing money? So they turned around and said, you should only be paid when the company's successful. So they changed most of, of the pay for managers to being more weighted to the value of the stock. So we'll pay you in stock. Now, you run the country into the ground, the, the, the company into the ground, you got, you got nothing. <laughs> or you do poorly, it's not worth very much. But if you do phenomenally well, you will too. And actually, the complaint is those... CEOs who are very successful, their stock market goes up, their employees get paid more, the company's more valuable, all of their investors are doing better, and so are they. So the incentive structure for management is to make the company successful and wealthy and hire more people and get bigger. If the money's just in cash, eh, not as exciting. But if they're paid in stock, I'm glad to hear that the CEO is making money because it means the whole company is making money. Basically, because of negative interest rates for a very long time, right, set by the Fed, it's created the situation where there's a lot of money was made just by manipulating money as opposed to made by creating real value, right? And I don't know, how, how, how do you react to that type of an argument? We do want to get out of financial maneuvering, being able to 
appear to create wealth. Um, sometimes those are signals that there's something wrong with the way you're organizing stuff and you want to change the way you organize it. But um, I think the key thing is keep tax rates low. Tax income one time, not again and again and again. If you earn a dollar, you have to pay income taxes. If you put it in a bank, the interest you get is taxed. If you put it in the stock market, there's a, there's a tax on the company that you're investing in, the corporate income tax. And when you sell that stock, you pay a capital gains tax. So you're telling somebody, if you take a dollar and go out and buy liquor, you're fine. We don't need to see you again. But if you take a dollar and invest it in Microsoft, we come back and take a piece, and then take a piece, and then take a piece. And if you're stupid enough to die, we'll take half. So um, we want the government to, to say, we'll take one bite at the apple and then leave you alone, not keep coming back chasing you. We want people to invest and save. You don't want to discourage that. No, 100, 100%. And I mean, this is one of the reasons why, I mean, a lot of people didn't know what, like, they couldn't actually just save their money, for example, because what there's no there's no return on savings, yeah. right? Well, that's why the stock yeah. market is important, why 401ks and IRAs have changed the world. Back in 1960, only about 10% of Americans were in the stock market. Today, because many people's pension is a 401k, is an individual retirement account, is a defined contribution pension. What's defined is how much you put in. Um, that means about somewhere between 50 and 60 percent of Americans own shares of stock directly. Not indirectly through life insurance, but directly. And they, they can see every month, they get a little statement. Here's what your 401k or individual retirement account is worth. And you saw during President uh, Trump's presidency a tremendous increase in the value of your life savings. Under Biden, your life savings have gone down. You are poorer. The richest American is poorer. Middle-income Americans are poorer in their life savings because the stock market has gone down. Well, so I had David Stockman on the show uh, somewhat recently, and he sees a lot of bubble, a lot of bubble, despite what, everything you just said, right? He, he believes that, you know, Basically, the place to put money at the moment, given the current realities, is into extremely safe things. And there aren't many of them. Okay. Right? I don't know. And this is more investment. This is more talking economy, less taxes. But I'm just very curious how you would do that. Well, it is clear that the Biden administration is moving much of the country's savings, which they tax, into malinvestments into political investments. Let's invest in electronic trucks. Really? You know, are we sure there's a market for that? No, we're so sure there's not a market for it, we're massively subsidizing it in order to get anybody to pay for it. Um, the government's creating an entire collection of industries, largely in the make-believe energy zone, where they subsidize you to use solar rather than natural gas or coal or nuclear or um, or something else. And whenever the government fools you about what the price of something is, oh, it's subsidized. Well, it's less expensive. No, it's not less expensive. You're it's, paying for it a different way. You're paying right. for it in taxes, or your neighbors are paying for it in taxes. And that is a, it gives the wrong signal to investment. Oh, wow, there's a lot of demand for this. Only as long as Congress keeps writing checks. Define the make-believe energy sector. What, is, what does that mean? Any part of the economy that only exists 
because it's subsidized by government taxes, by taking money from people and subsidizing. That's not a real market. That's a subsidized market. And um, it overstates, well, understates the true cost, but overstates the value. Um, when the government throws money at universities, and two-thirds of the cost of going to a university is actually the, the, the quote-unquote research professors do, not the teaching, okay? So a lot of money gets sent to universities. Only a fraction of that is actually spent on teaching. Um, and only a fraction of that is spent on teaching anything that helps you make a living. Um, you know, French art historians are interesting, and on your own time is probably a good way to study that but it's not going to get you a job and it won't get you a raise and why are you borrowing money to do that? You wouldn't borrow money to take an art appreciation course because it's fun. It's good to spend money on learning things but some of it's just fun and some of it's actually an education for life to help you pay the bills. Um, so what are the things that prices have gone sky high on? Um, well, many things given Biden but but even more than the 5 or 8% inflation, you're looking at health care and hospitals. Hospitals are wildly subsidized by the government. Um, pharmaceuticals, which the hospitals like to point to as if that was the problem, uh, have been growing lower than inflation. Um, that's Actually, those prices are fairly competitive compared to hospitals, uh, compared to insurance, health insurance because it's subsidized by the government, because so much money flows in that people can get rich over-investing in something or mal-investing, investing in the wrong areas. Same thing's true when you have make-believe energy, which is, I'm sorry, certain kinds of energy don't exist in the real world. And, uh, they only exist in captivity, being subsidized. Solar energy works at certain points because it's subsidized and because it's intermittent, because they pass laws requiring other people to provide the baseload energy. And then they're allowed to come in and sell it even when nobody wants their stuff. What about individual people? What can the individual person do? Uh, what, where should they look? Um, I'd be sure and take advantage of the tax-free savings in individual retirements accounts, 401ks. There's some limits, what percentage of your income you can put in, how much you can put in a year. If you can afford to, hit those limits. Save as much as you can long-term. Um, the buildup tends not to be taxed. They're each different. There's front-ended and, and um, kinds of 401ks as, as well as back-ended ones. Um, so tax-free savings is very helpful um, and is a way to accumulate. The other one is uh, just make sure you have a lawyer dealing with questions of when you write your will. There are different ways to organize how you leave your money with children and so on that are more or less easily taxed. Um, and the other piece to that is consider moving to a state that doesn't have an income tax or that has a single rate tax and it's on the way to zero. Move to a state that's not spending too much money because a, a low tax state that's spending too much money Alabama, may end up being a high-tax state in years to come if they don't fix that. Um, so, uh, and when you move to another state, there's not just the lower no-income tax, but lower property taxes, lower sales taxes, focus on those as well. And also look at the fact that 16 states now 
have passed education savings accounts. So if you want to homeschool or go to a charter school or a parochial school or to a public school, not the one that you're assigned to, in those states, um, California, uh, Florida, for instance, will give you an $8,000 check per child because the, that money follows your child. Not It doesn't go to a building and then says, you can come into the building if you want. Well, maybe it's not doing a very good job educating people. That $8,000 can go to you for homeschooling, for charter schools, to the parochial school. Um, younger people starting lives and deciding to ch have children, you can afford children, that's $32,000 a year towards how you want to educate them um, in Florida. There's similar numbers for Iowa, similar numbers for Arizona. Um, and over time, at first, states, cities are only, states are saying, we'll give you half of the money that the state spends to take anywhere you want. The other half stays in the public school. Over time, you're going to walk out of the door with all of the money the state spends. Because why in the world shouldn't you? have control of all of the money that's set aside for your child's education. Why would some of it go to a school nobody wants to go to anymore? The amount of resources per child that parents control is going to go up, and the amount that goes into buildings rather than children is going to go down. It's kind of interesting how you're describing, you're actually providing you know, a service for the social good by moving, right? That, that, that's, that's very interesting to me. But so take a state like California, though, there's, you know, I, of, of states, my understanding is that it experienced the greatest reduction in population uh, as a state of any over the last few years, and ostensibly because of its policies. Um, did you, are you, were you going to jump in? Uh, I'm just going to agree. Uh, Hawaii's been, been emptying people. Sometimes people say, oh, it's just the weather. There are a couple of liberal economists who go, people, are just, they're not leaving taxes to low-tax states that are better managed. It's, they like the weather. People are leaving Hawaii at the same rate they leave California. And California, by the way, has got some of the best weather in the world. What are you talking about? Well, so, so this is interesting, but, but it's not obvious to me at all that they're actually changing their policy policies. If anything, you know, some of the policies that I've heard about are actually quite astounding. Right, especially in the, the, the you know, medical field, and the medical realm, and so forth. And well, California, the governor, uh, Newsom, stopped an effort to raise the top rate again. Cuomo in New York stopped an effort to raise the top income tax rate. The beginning of wisdom is when you're digging yourself into a hole, stop digging. Okay? So they've stopped going crazier on taxes temporarily anyway, and the more people leave California and leave New York and leave New Jersey, the more likely it is that the, the rates in those states will begin to come down. I'm very curious about this issue of subsidies, because it seems to me, again, just as we're speaking here, that there's a lot of subsidies in hidden places, essentially to promote various types of policies which the market wouldn't. And that, you know, and while I would say in some cases that makes sense, we've just kind of overdone it dramatically. Is that, is that your sense? Look, all subsidies and taxes turn prices into laws. The whole point of prices is to say when the price of, of steel goes up, I will start a new steel factory because there's money in steel. And so more people invest in steel and the prices come down a bit. Um, or people say, well, we could use aluminum here 
Um, so the price tells you how much do people want steel. Very high price, more people will make steel. Uh, when the price of gold goes up, more people look for gold. Um, when, when the price of being a lawyer goes up, more people go to law school. Okay, You want those signals. And, and also, if the price of something goes up, people go, well, I could buy something else. I don't have to buy hamburger. I could buy something different, another meat. Um, when you subsidize something, you hide the cost to consumers, so they purchase more of it than they want to, than they meant to. More people will make it, but there's less real demand for it. So you have that with some of the Solyndra um, fake make-believe energy stuff, that energy is not actually producing more energy than, than they consume. When you tax heavily people working on Saturdays, people stop working on Saturdays as much. And because they say, well, it doesn't really pay to work on Saturdays. The government takes so much of my money. Why would I invest if they're going to tax my investments? I'll just, I'll just consume. I don't want to invest. So with taxing investment or work, you get less of it. But that's indeed the whole purpose of subsidy, isn't it? It's to yes. change behavior, Yes. right? It, it, it's yeah. a bad thing on purpose, and the politicians lie to the American people about what they're doing and why. We're helping people with the subsidy. Yeah. That's how it's pretty. Or, you know, we, we definitely need to transition to renewable energy. So we're going to promote, we're going to subsidize renewable energy so that there's more development in that space, hopefully more R&D and so forth, right? Because that's, that, that, I guess that, that's the philosophy, right? It, when you put in mandates and when you outlaw other things like fracking, you change all the incentives. And so you no longer are doing what the people want you're doing what the bureaucrat wants. Okay, so, you know, this is this is actually very interesting. This is something I've been thinking about a lot, is that there there is this kind of attitude. I think, I imagine it's increasing. Some people would say it's always been like this, that the bureaucrat knows best. Most people came to the United States because there were kings and aristocrats and warlords um, who knew how to run your life for you. and. God appointed them, or their good breeding appointed them, or the fact that they had more guns than you appointed them to make these decisions for you. And people came to the United States and said, I'd like to make my own decisions. Well, we've got a bureaucracy which acts like the French aristocracy. They think they're smarter and better than other people, and they should make decisions, and they should force people to live by the decisions that these guys make. While they fly in corporate jets and individual jets, the rest of us should be eating bugs because it's good for the environment, which is the new thing, evidently, that they're getting us ready for. I'm not ready for that. Um, but there's a pushback in the United States against this self-appointed aristocracy. We have to do what I said. I have a PhD. No, we don't. So what, is, what should the role of experts and bureaucrats be in your mind in, in the system? Any study that some expert says proves X should only be taken seriously if the entire experiment and study is online and transparent to everyone. They, they have studies which are peer-reviewed, which means your friends lie and say you did a good job so that you will say that their study was fine five years from now. Um, and then they said, but you can't look at the study. We're the experts. We tell you the study means do X. No regulation, no law should ever flow from a secret study 
with secret evidence and secret facts. And if it's a real study, put it online so anybody could look at it and see, oh, that's true. That makes sense. Now, not, you don't have to be an expert, but there are thousands and thousands of experts who have no financial interest in somebody's study who could look at it and say, well, there are three mistakes there. They may be big mistakes, they may be little mistakes, but how do you learn if somebody puts up something, everybody has to do X because my study says so, but I won't, let tell you, won't show you the study. Um, a lot of very bad regulations are made with very bad information, but how would you know it's bad information unless it was transparent and available? Real science, everybody should be able to look at. I think I, I'm going to endorse that statement. Good. <laughs> I don't usually do that in these interviews, but I think, you know, having come from that background, I wholeheartedly have to agree. Now, let's just think a little bit about the future. So, you know, given our current, the current realities, there's been these, you know, very significant amounts of money spent. You've got this inflation situation. Um, what, around taxes, what would your, be, your advice be to the current federal administration? Uh, well, you should take the corporate rate down to at least down to 15, um, and we should take the individual rate back down to 27%, which is where it was when Reagan left office, uh, and move towards a single rate tax. Let the growth of the economy bring in more revenue rather than trying to keep raising taxes, which slows the economy. Let's say David Stockman is right, and you know this whole stock market's in a massive bubble for all sorts of structural reasons, and that there might there's going to be some kind of, uh, let's say, re reduction in value or correction that has to happen. Is that, does all that still hold true? Or? Sure. Oh, absolutely, yes. If, if it turns out because of government policy there's a bunch of malinvestment and it collapses, the last thing you want is the government to manage how you rearrange the, 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 the things, okay? No, no, no. Stay away. 1921, we had a recession. The government stayed out of it, and it got fixed in 18 months. Then in 1929, there was a, a recession, which turned the government decided to fix, and it lasted as a recession for de depression for more than 10 years. All right, um, governments shouldn't fix recessions. They should step out of the way, reduce taxes, reduce regulations, let prices reassert themselves. And as happened in 1921 and earlier ones, short recessions fix themselves quickly if everybody's allowed to reallocate their resources, their time, switch jobs, and so on. But if the government says, well, here's how we fix things, that's how we got in the problem in the first place. Absolutely fascinating. Well, Grover Nordquist, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you.